Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories about the weather and climate. After spending the last 10 episodes looking specifically at the weather and its relationship to our fight with the coronavirus, this week we returned the podcast to its more traditional magazine format. Our stories going forward will run the gamut of topics, like our title says, of everything under the sun when it comes to weather and climate. We hope to bring you real stories, relevant news, and get you prepared for not only what's going on at the moment, but what's to come in the future, keeping you informed and entertained with stories about science and media and weather history. We also hope to give you information that gives you context to those stories and our forecasts. More than just the numbers and the meteorological jargon, we will strive to make you understand what's going on around you and how you can be prepared. And finally, my goal as a host is to highlight more the personal sides of all of those from AccuWeather. You hear the names, you read them, you see them in television, you see us in print. Well, we hope by knowing more about us and our great team members that work so hard every day to get you the right information, that we will get you the best information and help you understand why we believe the things that we do. We will continue to release this podcast on Friday mornings. So one of our main focuses will be getting you ready to conquer the upcoming weekend and prepare ahead for any weather situations to be on the lookout for the following week. And we'll do that at the end of each show. And this week, our senior meteorologist, Brett Anderson, will join us to talk about what's going on to get uh, into the weekend, who's going to have the good stuff, who's not going to be so good this weekend, and who will be needing to keep up to date on the tropics as we get into the upcoming week. We'll also visit with some of the people you've heard from over the last weeks from time to time, not only catching up on some of the ideas they talked about during our fight with COVID-19 series, but continuing then to give new information on that, but also other things. Things like travel, astronomy, sports event weather, when we get back to playing sports outside, uh, pro sports and college sports, all of that and more. Also this week, we'll head back into the garden with AccuWeather's very own radio operations manager, Brian May, who also has his own landscaping and gardening business. Coming up, Brian and I will talk about how to get you ready to do some vegetable planting and other tips to get your garden ready to make it bloom from start to finish. Each week in our opening segment, we'll present in-depth stories and interviews about the most relevant weather and climate topics of the week. And here we are at the start of meteorological summer, as well as rolling into the first weekend and second full week of June. Here we are right at the beginning of the 2020 Atlantic Basin hurricane season, and we're already up to our third named storm. Like the weather, the hurricane season is heating up, and we'll talk to senior meteorologist and our lead hurricane expert, Dan Kutlowski, to get context on why there are so many storms with impact to the United States forecast to affect the U.S. over this upcoming hurricane season. That's all coming up on Everything Under the Sun. 
For over 40 years, Dan Kalowski has been part of the forecasting team here at AccuWeather.com. He's become our most senior member and leader of our tropical and hurricane forecasting specialty team. And even with Cristobal on the map here on this weekend, he's going to talk in depth about how AccuWeather comes up with the hurricane forecast for each season and how already this busy season will impact folks now through early fall. Dan, it's uh, great to talk to you here. Um, I've been wanting to do this. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of the 2020 forecast, well, first thing I want to say is if you're tuning in and you're thinking, well, we got Cristobal right out there right now, and I want to know information about that, you're not going to get that here in this podcast. You will get that at our AccuWeather.com site on your AccuWeather apps and all that information, and you'll see Dan talking about that as we go through this period of this version of everything under the sun. So I just want to say that up front. I'll probably say that a couple of more times here as we go through the interview. But before we start with the nuts and bolts of the forecast a little bit later, Dan, I mean, I've been at AccuWeather now going on 23 years, and I know that uh, you were around a little bit before that. Well, over 30 years with the company. It's amazing. Let's get to know you a little bit. I think people see your name, hear your voice. Uh, but who is Dan Kalowski? The one thing I know is you went to Purdue. We got yeah. a Boilermaker in AccuWeather. How'd that happen? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I graduated uh, from Purdue in 1976. And a few months later, I came uh, as a green, green <laughs> forecaster here at AccuWeather. And I've been here uh, for 43 years since then. So, uh, Were you one of the first non-Penn Staters to really yes. start to come into the fold there in yeah, the those, early days um, of the company? Yeah, there was, a, there was another person from the University of Pittsburgh that was working. I think there's the only two of us, I think, that were non-Penn Staters. And of course, I got ribbed an awful lot about that. Mm-hmm. And I, I made the pronouncement you know, to Joel and everybody else. I said, you wait. Penn State will end up joining the Big Ten, and they just laughed at me. So this was a, an early prediction, way yeah, before yeah. it ever even was on the radar. You exactly. thought that could happen. It just, just made a lot of sense for, for Penn State to join the Big Ten. Because when I came here in 1976, I said, this is like a Big Ten campus, you know, huge, yeah, you know, right. a lot of people and a, and a town connected to it as well. So. so you grew up with AccuWeather, like a lot of us have, grew up working. And then when did the the affinity and the interest in the tropical storm stuff start? You don't think that of a guy that goes and has his undergrad at Purdue to be a, a tropical guy. You think that would be more for a Florida State guy. But how did that uh, come to fruition? And was that your first focus early on in your career? Well, it's interesting to bring that up. Uh, when I went to Purdue, I actually had the opportunity to take two grad courses in tropical meteorology, and I loved it. I aced both classes. Uh, the professors that were involved, they were involved in research program called GARP that uh, looked at uh, tropical weather and tried to understand tropical relationships. So, and this one professor, he was just really enamored with the tropics. And I just learned an awful lot from him. So when I came to AccuWeather, I was already in that tropical mode. It's interesting to note, I think either the first day or one of the first days that I started working, mm-hmm. um, there was actually a hurricane moving up the coast <laughs> uh, during that first couple of days that I was working, you know, so I'll remember that you know, for, for a long time. But again, I've always had a, a love of the tropics. It's, it's what you call the real frontier in forecasting. There's a lot of things that go on in the tropics that are just so fascinating. And there's a lot of things we just don't quite understand just yet. And and that's the kind of stuff that fascinates me. I'm interested in those extreme weather events, hurricanes, 
tornadoes, you know, severe local storms. I'm really not as much into the snow. Obviously, the northeastern part of the United States, almost everyone who was born and raised in the northeast loves snow. I was born out in the Midwest. I've seen multiple tornadoes, you know. Right. I was going to say thunderstorms should have been your thing in my mind, right? I remember remember when I was a kid, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, watching these thunderstorms come in from the west, and we had a two-story farmhouse, and I had a beautiful view of the western sky that I could watch this stuff come over. So, uh, so when thunderstorms came in, I, you know, as a kid, I watched them, you know, and all the tornadoes that I saw, I actually saw on the farm at friends' houses or down in Florida. We went to Florida a few times and I actually saw multiple water spouts. I actually saw a dual water spout. So I've just been in the right place at the right time. But if you live out in the Midwest, uh, in the plains, and you're really you got an eye for the weather. Uh, you'll you'll see all those uh, all those you'll see tornadoes and everything else. Talking with Dan Kudlowski, AccuWeather's top hurricane expert, who works with a team of folks to come up with our tropical storm forecasting. Um, one of the big chores at the beginning of the season or going into the season is coming up with the seasonal forecast. And kind of wanted to talk a little bit, Dan, about how that process occurs, and then also maybe a little bit of the differences in the forty plus years that you've been at AccuWeather of what you have to work with, say, 30, 40 years ago when we're talking about hurricane and tropical forecasting, what you have to work with now. But I kind of think it's, you know, it's fun. They talk about when they talk about the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, that the planning for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade starts at the very next day after the parade's over, right? And so there's no real hurricane forecasting. Oh, we got to get, oh, it's almost May. So it's April. I better get on this. It's really a constant thing these days to get ready for each forecast. That's correct. We start out actually in uh, November and December, starting to look at how the overall pattern is setting up for the upcoming year. So in November, December, that's going to be what, um, as we come out of the hurricane season, I'll go into long range uh, forecast mode. And you you look at whether there's going to be an El Nino or a La Nina or in some cases, a La Nana, you know, where it's in between. (laughs) And so, because that has a real big impact when there's a- So that's, again, let's for the uh, non-scientifics or non-meteorologists, that's the area in the Pacific where we watch uh, for either cooler or warmer than normal temperatures in the surface temperatures of the ocean. Exactly. And in fact, a lot of people are amazed at how we do this. It's very simple. You look at the water temperature, five degrees north, five degrees south, roughly between 160 and 140 west, and see what the water temperatures are doing there. What we've gotten now looking at is not only the water temperatures, but the depth of the cold water and the warm water, and looking at the wind flow across that area, whether we call it the mean wind flow in the lower 5,000 feet, whether it's coming from the east or from the west. And so those are things that you can start looking at during, Dece- Found- during December and January. Like the foundation season. blocks of the forecast, right? Exactly. Are there exactly. other oscillations that you, I know we talk about that in, in the long range. Are you guys looking at, uh, there's the North Atlantic oscillation, same yes. kind of thing, differences in the temperatures of the, the surface and all those kinds of things. So it's the main one in the Pacific that you kind of start with, but there's other things that you're looking to as you start building that, right? Yeah, the, yeah the, that's one driver because you're trying to look at the amount of vertical wind shear. Whenever there's a, an, a lot, an El Nino, the polar jet tends to dip down more frequently into the tropics and so creates stronger northwesterly winds in the tropics. But when we're in a La Nina pattern, which we are going to start going into during the summer here, a lot of part of the summer, the 
polar jet tends to retreat to the north and you don't have as much of those northwesterly winds. Another part of the forecast is water temperature. That's another big aspect. So we try to anticipate or try to predict what we believe the water temperature will be uh, across the Atlantic Basin uh, during the upcoming season. And and again, we try to use oceanographic climate models. We call that kind of like a uh, a connecting the surface weather with the winds aloft and above the surface of the water there. And so if we can get that right and get that water temperature right and get the pattern of, of whether we have an El Nino or a La Nina, that's almost 70% of the battle of trying to figure out what the weather is going to do across the Atlantic Basin for the upcoming season. So then once we get the building blocks of that, then what other subtleties do you start looking at? I think, uh, you know, to me, I've heard things like multi-decadal cycles. Are we in a a series of years, a a decade or a couple of decades where we're uptick in activity, downtick activity? What else are some of the other variables that you look at from year to year before you get into the forecast itself? Yeah, the one thing you're talking about is the AMO, the Atlantic Multidecadal Oscillation, means that the water temperatures in the Atlantic are warmer than normal. It's a basically a 20 to 40 year cycle. We're at right now we're in year 25 at the present time, so right in the middle of, of what climatologically we've seen in times past. So we could literally be in this warm phase for another 10 years or so. There's also the discussion that because the fact that the climate has warmed over the globe, the oceans act as a heat sink, and so they absorb the excess heat in the atmosphere. So uh, so sea surface temperatures are actually warm not only in the Atlantic, but over all the ocean basins as well. Another part of the forecast we look at, we look at the what we think the pattern is going to be through the spring and the summer, and then look at years in which that pattern has has occurred as well. Do we call those analog years? Or you would look at the weather and say, okay, it looks like this. Let's go back and see if what happened in other years that were very similar to these years. What you what you find is there's never a perfect fit. It's always the weather is so complex sometimes it's very difficult. But we do come up with an estimated analog years. Uh, when I come up with my analog years, I base them mostly on whether we're going to have an El Nino or La Nina. That's the simplest way. What I okay. found is those those tend to really help you out. So looking at El Nino or La Nina, then you get into analog years, and then you start putting together some thoughts in terms of numbers. And we're going to take a break here in the podcast. And when we come back, Dan, we're going to talk about those numbers. I know uh, we put out an initial forecast. We made a little revision here in the last week. And here we are into the uh, first full week of uh, the hurricane season in the Atlantic Basin, and we're up to letter C in the alphabet. We'll talk to Dan Kudlowski, our senior forecast expert for meteorology in terms of of our hurricane and tropical forecast leading our forecasting team about that forecast of the hurricane season here in 2020 after this with more coming up on everything under the sun listen to weather insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me bernie reno and evan myers you'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather just subscribe to weather insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. 
Welcome back here to Everything Under the Sun as we talk to Dan Kutlowski, our uh, senior meteorologist who is in charge of our forecasting team for our tropical forecasting as we get ready to uh, talk about this 2020 hurricane forecast. And we're already in the first week of hurricane season, Dan, and we're already up to the sea storm. Again, I just want to make sure that folks understand this is our general magazine forecast. We're talking about general forecasts here. If you want Cristobal forecast, and I've been trying to practice how to say that, Dan. That's just the one Cristobal, that's hard. Yeah, yeah Cristobal. It's a little bit on the T-O. I mean, yeah. my yeah. partner Joel from Puerto Rico has helped me with that. So Cristobal. Good. But yeah, this is where we are. Sea storm. And well, we were at B before even the season officially began. So even without looking and asking you any numbers, to me, it looks and sounds like it's already going to be a busy hurricane season. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a study done by some researchers from the uh, Hurricane Research uh, Division of the uh, Hurricane Center a number of years ago. And what they, uh, guys by the name of Stanley Goldenberg, and he did a research study and noticed that when we had uh, three to four storms by the end of June, most seasons were quite active and, and we're heading that way at the present time. But this is kind of playing into what we thought would happen. We thought that we would have at least somewhere between two and four storms by the end of June. And again, uh, when you look when you look back at the last 10 years, I think uh, either seven or eight of those years, we've had one or two storms in the preseason, you know, before right. June 1st. <laughs> before before the teams had warmed up and really gotten into the regular season, preseason, yeah. I think, actually, and I want to talk to you, but this is a little bit uh, a far field for meteorology, but I think it, it, or not meteorology, but from hurricane forecasting, but I think it plays into that is this idea that to me, as somebody who's been watching the weather for 50 years, uh, you a few longer, but... Um, we're flipping now. It's all flips. It's There's no ease in, no ease out. Things that we thought were traditional seasons of things, they're not as traditional anymore. So, And we're seeing that on the hurricane and the tropical front, right? Earlier start, later finish. Exactly. Again, the big, big driver of all of this is the fact that the water temperatures in the Atlantic continue to run much warmer than normal, uh, not only in the Atlantic basin as a whole, but in specific areas. I mean, there are some colder water in parts of the Atlantic Ocean, but in specific in the tropics, you know, generally we try to look at between 20 west and 80 west. 80 west is roughly Miami down to through Cuba on east to about um, a couple of hundred miles off the coast of Africa. And then roughly about 10, 15 north and, and about 10 to 15 north degrees either side of that. So we construct a, a, what I call a rectangular box. And the whole idea in forecasting and looking at the season is to see what the weather's doing in that, in that what we call main developmental region. If we can get that, then we can get about 85% of storm development in any given season. But then parts of the year, like this early part, we're not even looking off the coast of Africa. No. I mean, that's that we wait till July and August. Now, these are the times of years we can spin things up. And that's what we have done. We spun up Bertha in short order right off the uh, East Coast, uh, named a tropical storm. And then what, an hour later it was on shore. It seemed like that at least. Yeah. Cristobal now uh, in that uh, Bay of Campeche hit, uh, as we record this, it did make a, a landfall in Mexico, and it looks like it gets trapped. So here's the other thing. Things get trapped more this first part of the year. So um, even though it's not as powerful a hurricane in terms of the winds, 
it can have as much damage and impact here in the early season because it can get stalled and we can have tremendous flooding problems from these uh, tropicals. So that's one reason why we came up with the impact scale because every impact is different. I think in the past, we've been scaling hurricanes and tropical systems just on the wind alone. And we saw that that necessarily wasn't the best way to determine how much impact for each of these storms. That's correct. And and again, uh, what we do is when we come up with this a figure. We are actually doing a calculation. Uh, we're, we're calculating, we've got the wind speed, but then we calculate the rainfall and put that in perspective. The rainfall in some areas, some places have had big rainfall amounts, other places have not. So we look that in perspective. And then, of course, we look at storm surge. Uh, the, if there's a, a storm surge uh, that's higher than what has ever been experienced or how we put that again in, into historical perspective. And then the fourth variable is what is going to be the economic impact. So we put all four of those together. Whenever that number of one of those four values, we scale, scale them on a, a one to five scale. When any one of those variables reach five or, or whatever the highest number is, we go with that for the real impact. So um, it's a it's a simple process, but again, we've got to look at historical and uh, look at and put this in per, into perspective. Talking with Dan Kalowski, our senior expert meteorologist, our chief uh, forecaster for our tropical and hurricane coverage. Let's look at the numbers. I mean, I think sometimes in anything in meteorology and anything that we're looking at statistics, numbers are numbers, but you have to give them context. So uh, number of named storms here as we enter this first. What is our AccuWeather prediction on number of named storms? Yeah, we're going with, uh, again, a range between 14 and 20 named storms this year. And of those uh, named storms, we believe that 7 to 11 will be hurricanes. And of those 7 to 11 hurricanes, we expect 4 to 6 to be major hurricanes. And another uh, parameter that we try to forecast is impacts on the United States. Right. Uh, our forecast this year is four to six impacts. On a, no, on a normal year, the United States encounters at least some impact from a tropical storm or a hurricane uh, at least three times a year. That's, that's on average, if you look at the long-term average. When you say impact, Stan, let's, let's make it clear. It's not, it doesn't have to be that it has to be a direct strike. I mean, no. it can be kind of hanging offshore for a day and pumping 20 inches of rain into the Gulf Coast. That's a major impact. Exactly. I mean, uh, look back at uh, Gonzales, uh, which was a, a hurricane back about four or five years ago, it actually never made landfall in the U.S., but but, but pumped a huge amount of uh, a rainfall into uh, uh, South Carolina. It had uh, actually had record flooding there from that hurricane. So when you look at the season thus far, we've already had two impacts on the United States. You know, Arthur and Bertha both uh, brought impacts to the United States, so we consider those as impacts. So this year is looking to be a really a very uh, active uh, season, but also could be a high impact season for the United States. And and a lot of that comes because there's available fuel in the water to create large, powerful storms. And then there's a, a situation on a, you know, I think early in the season, this trapping thought where, you know, storms can sit and spin and, and cause problems longer is, is a concern too. So these are all things that we're going to be watching. So as we go through, do you guys, you guys keep watching and do you make another update here a third of the way into the season? We can check in again on your thoughts. 
Yes. In fact, we, we put together a range because what we'll, we'll probably end up doing is lo- is narrowing that range down. So I'll get together with the team over the next month or two. And by uh, the end of July, August 1st, we try to really get that number down. Again, if we feel confident enough, we may just go with one number. But the whole idea is to give people an idea of how active it's going to be. The number of storms really don't tell you the threat. I mean, we could have 20 storms. Right. That none of them will affect the United States. Right. They could all be out in the ocean. We call them fish storms, uh, colloquially in the office, where they just kind of sit and spin and go out in the ocean, don't affect anything. So. Well, I mean, they do affect things. They can oh, affect shipping. Shipping lanes, correct. Of course, you got to be yes. careful about the seagulls, too. They could oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that is true. <laughs> I apologize, seagulls. I, yeah. I, but I understand what you're saying. We, we're limited time here, and I don't want to keep you because you are the busiest man at AccuWeather right now, especially with things active. Two things. Has COVID-19, and you know, we talked to Matt Alto a couple of um, weeks ago about missing data that we're missing because of COVID-19, especially from airplanes. The lack of airplane flying has been giving us less observations to start modeling and stuff. Have you seen that effect early in this uh, hurricane season on modeling because of uh, anything from COVID-19 at this point, Dan? No, I think that information is mostly going to affect meso models over the United States or over over countries, over the oceans. We don't, you know, that information is fed into some of the computer models, but keep in mind that we use global models for uh, over the oceans, so they don't have as much of an impact uh, as they would. But again, features that are in the United over over land and over the United States, it's good to have those uh, modeled very well. But again, that's mostly a short term type situation. And the last thing I'd like to ask you, Dan, is, you know, one of the things that I think we've all learned from dealing with COVID-19 is assessing risk. And I think, uh, you know, that comes into play with hurricanes. I mean, especially later in the season when we hear these storms that are starting to form off Africa and it could be a week or two, but there's the potential that they have a big impact, but then there's also not. So when do you, if you're telling your family, when do you start heeding risks and warnings and, and when would you not, or would you always hear heed any risk or warning? I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough call right now, right? It is. Yeah. I've got, a, I've got a son and, and his family live in the, in the Florida panhandle. Uh, he's an air force pilot. So he's, uh, he's very concerned about the situation. So I give them Whenever I feel confident enough that that it looks like a threat, I will give them a call. You know, every time you hear a storm forming out there, uh, you could go until you're blue in the face uh, warning people. But until you develop confidence that it's going to definitely go in a certain place, then you alert them. I've already alerted my relatives who live around Houston and around the Gulf Coast about this system. But uh, again, uh, it usually about seven days out, we start to really look very, very hard at the computer models and and try to see how they're coming out. But yeah, I I usually give uh, my relatives and friends a heads up, just say, hey, keep an eye on the weather. And then the other thing too is, you know, we have to understand these things take twists and turns. It's not like they're beings and they do that on their own, but the modeling isn't quite right and we don't pick up on something. And there's so many variables that uh, they can just uh, seem like they have a mind of their own, and which is one of the things that for us meteorologists, I think, make them the most fascinating things to try to forecast going in the long run. I agree. Yeah, yeah, and that's my fascination in, in the tropics is the fact that how the storms can disprove what you believe is going to happen. You know, So you have to really 
be able to make changes. You can't be stubborn in your forecasting of these storms. If you do, you're going to mislead people. So I always tell people, you never trust the computer information until you get much closer to it. So it's also like, I think right now, the way our modeling is, it's almost like shaving. Every day you come in, you shave and you start over again and you can't think about what I forecasted yesterday. I got to look at the new information and go forward from there. And I sometimes I think that's harder when we get more models to to give us the right answer. Right, Mr. Kalowski? Yeah. I mean, nowadays you talked about tools that we have now. We didn't have years ago. We didn't have... Yeah. We really did not have really good satellite imagery. We really did not have really good computer models either. The computer modeling has improved dramatically over the last 20 years. So we we have a better sense as to how these storms are moving simply because we got faster computers and we've actually put physics and other understandings into these computer models that we didn't have uh, 20 years ago. And I think the satellite, especially the GOES, you, you can see just down to the like almost square inch of all, you know, the multiple vortices and all these things that, you know, we knew was happening and we, you know, but now you can actually see it from space. It's amazing. It's a wonder we don't just sit and watch the satellite all day. I think sometimes it's, it's, you have to, right? I agree. Are you going to get mesmerized? I'll have yeah. uh, at home, sometimes I'll have three or four views of satellite over a storm just to look at different products that are generated by. That's the other thing, too, is we use computer models to help produce satellite products that enable us to fully understand what's going on within a storm. Dan, it's been a pleasure. I know you, uh, uh, not to say Dan's not an, on an island. He's got a great team. You've got so many great people under you, and I know you appreciate them, but we'll be checking in with you as we go throughout the hurricane season. Dan, thanks so much for your service to AccuWeather and all that you do for keep people safe and informed. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, Dean, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks again to Dan Kotlowski. Expect us to check in with him every couple of weeks here on Everything Under the Sun as we keep an eye on the tropics. Let's head into the garden next. Brian May joins us to talk about getting ready for the next phase of planning in your garden. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. I'm Dean DeVore. Again, thanks to Dan Kutlowski. It was uh, great to spend some in-depth time with him in our first and second segments. We'll be checking in with Dan, I promise you, regularly here as we go through this everything under the sun summer and hurricane season another person in kind of our i'm going to set this up like a magazine we're going to have some sections and we're going to talk about astronomy travel we're going to talk about things like sporting events and outdoor activity type of weather and how it's related but certainly gardening has been something we've talked about before on the show and we're going to talk about again and we are so fortunate to have our own gardening expert he's been with Acu whether just a little bit longer than I have. Brian May, our radio operations manager, who also has his own landscape and gardening business, joins us to talk about the early part of June in your garden here on Everything Under the Sun. Brian, welcome back. Uh, I was just thinking about this the other day. You've been at AccuWeather just a little bit longer than me, so like 23 and a half years now for you? 23 and a half years. Time Yeah, that does indeed. <laughs> Speaking of time flying, I mean, last time we talked, we were making that turn into the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we sure. had had some early frost issues or late frost issues, I should say, in the parts of the Northeast and the Great Lakes. Um, I feel like we're making the turn now from the time when we're going from mainly 
plant planting or plants and flowers and those kinds of things to more vegetable planting as we get ready for the main growing season for backyard gardens with vegetables. And I've just been noticing a little bit of a shortage lately. I've seen some signs at some of the local greenhouses here in Pennsylvania where, you know, we're a week or two late on some of this. And is that maybe going back to some of those frost issues that we had uh, at the beginning of the growing season? Yeah, I think it's a combination of, um, you know, the frost issues that we had in May and also just the fact that so many people are out in the greenhouses, home, starting gardens and just buying everything out. So it's a, it's a lot of demand too. And yeah, I, I Absolutely. see that. I mean, uh, the garden centers have been probably the busiest thing since all of this began. People were even out yeah. there taking some of their free time. Um, what are some things that you still, if you were a person looking to add some color to your varieties and to your gardens, would you be planting here now, I know we've made a turn into bringing, I've seen some different things now in the garden centers in terms of some plants. What yeah. are some good things here that you can get going for mid to late summer? So when, when you're thinking about uh, planning out your, or if, you, if you're talking about your perennial garden, um, you want to look ahead to uh, the next season. And by season, I mean, there are in the perennial landscape and gardening realm, there are different little mini seasons. No, that makes um, sense. And and even in the in the annual stuff, there's different little mini seasons of stuff that absolutely. comes up first. Poppies absolutely. are a big early thing, right? Poppies and yeah. stuff. And then we're going to start making transitions. So that's that's what you were talking cool. about, right? So if you were looking, um, you want to think right now about your, your midsummer garden. And if you want some easy, not stop blooms you might want to put something in like your shasta daisies or your coreopsis is is a, a non-stop bloomer dahlias do you like dahlias yeah, dahlias are good now one thing with dahlias is for some zones like our zone here in zone five and six they won't make it through the winter so you have right. to pick those up if it's a perennial variety yeah I, and i've had limited success at trying to keep i know there's ways to keep those over the years um yeah yeah I've, i love to this time of year you start seeing the cannas and the calla lilies really start to yeah. go those are tropical plants so if you're planting those as bulbs, um, you want to dig those up in the fall after the first frost and you want to store them over the winter and then plant them again next spring after the danger of the frost has passed. So yeah, calla lilies, they prefer a little more shade than uh, your canna bulbs. They, they like uh, full sun. Sun patience. That's something I, I mean, I used to hear about impatience. Now I'm hearing all about sun patience. What are Yes. Those? So they were created just because people like impatience, but impatience are a shade tolerant plant only. I mean, they, they, you can only put those in the, in the shade. So the sun patients were created to have that same look at, you know, obviously out in the sun. <laughs> Very nice little, uh, cute, lots of vibrant, bright colors. Um, and then the, the shade, well, there's two begonias. There's begonias that love shade. They're what more the glossy leaf. If you see the glossier leaf, the darker glossier, that's the shade begonia. You see a brighter, less glossy green leaf. They're in sun or shade begonia. Yeah, so it's just really important to, and I think we talked about that last time. Just read up on on the plant, read the tags, read the directions. I had some, a client recently laugh at me when I asked 
about a plant that they planted. And I said, well, what, what do the instructions say? And said, well, we'll read the instructions. What instructions, right? <laughs> that little tag? I thought that was just to, yeah. to give me the price. Just, it doesn't have any information on it. Right. What about watering this time of year? I mean, I... Yeah. Look, here in central Pennsylvania, we seem to be getting like daily doses of some watering from Mother Nature. We're being fortunate right now. It's, a, it's looking at the information. Some things tolerate uh, more water. Some things tolerate actually drier soil. So a good general rule, perennials or vegetables, one to two inches of water a week um, is a good general rule of thumb for all plants. Um, obviously, depends on you know what's going on with the weather. Um, helps to get a rain gauge uh, to keep track of what you're getting a week in rain. There, there is a danger of overwatering some plants, especially vegetables. And a lot of it too depends on your soil and your soil drainage. I mean, if you're planting and it's nice loamy uh, soil that uh, you know has a lot of air in midst of it, it's going to soak that in and and let it go. It's well drained. But if you're yeah. planting in really clay, heavy soil, I mean, that's when it can get, you know, these roots can rot out and stuff like that if you're overwatered. Sure, absolutely. So if you, if you are uh, putting in a new vegetable garden, you want to try to get the most fertile soil that you can, which means when you pick it up, it kind of sifts through your fingers and you want that kind of soil for your vegetables. Because you want the roots and, to get growing as quickly as possible with those, right? Absolutely. And what that means for watering is the water can get to the roots to help that. So if I'm a novice at, at, at vegetables as we're getting into that time, is there a couple of two or three easy vegetable picks that it's easy to try that you can get your thumb a little greener and get a little more confidence? Tomatoes are very popular, obviously. The thing with tomatoes and, uh, you know, a lot of people, depending on your garden size, I mean, some, some people are limited to a patio container garden. Myself, I live in a planned community, so we're not really allowed to have a whole vegetable garden. So I do a lot of pots of tomatoes. So with tomatoes, um, you want to, you know, they like direct sunlight more than six hours a day, keep them watered, um, and don't put them in the same soil that you had them in last year. They, they want that. new, they, they hate that. They want new, they want to be... Uh... Right. And they're prone to diseases that way. So the previous year's growth keeps the diseases in the soil. Right. You know, it's never a bad idea to ask questions. I think that's one thing with, with this thing, uh, with, with growing and stuff. I, I think we think we know or what our parents taught us, but what our parents and our grandmothers and our yeah. folks isn't always right. So yeah. asking questions is a big key right now this time. Sure. Sure. So, you know, growing up, my experience with vegetable gardening was uh, growing up on my grandparents' farm and, and they had high yield gardens for, for a lot of produce where now I think most people who are starting out or, or homeowners have a limited space. So you kind of, which is good in a way because you, you don't want to over, over plant. It's a lot of work. There is, um, there's low maintenance gardening, but there's no such thing as, as no maintenance. There's no, always you need to do something. Cool. 
there's there's a lot of work, you know. So that's something to keep in mind as you're thinking about your vegetable garden this summer. Yeah, and the other thing I find this time of year, we as somebody who puts stuff in, we tend to crowd. We try to do too much, and then yeah. not, and then not, you know, do the the prudent pruning or the the thinning that we need to do to get them the best crop at the end. Uh, so that's that's a key when you get into that middle part of the growing situation is to make sure that you're listening and looking at directions, thinning and, and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, just some, a little tip about uh, your vegetable garden is if you're, if you went with uh, planting seeds, um, just they need to be babied, especially at this time right now. Um, just every day, you just need to like really tend to them. Yeah. Because like one, one too dry day or it bakes yeah. it in and then you just, you're in a deficit or you, you, you flood it out. So yeah, it's like today is this time of the seed stuff. It's like almost daily like yeah. a nurturing a young, young kid. Right. You know, and we, we should at some point talk about insects in your garden because, uh, I, I really just encourage people from using pesticides. There are actually more good bugs than there are bad bugs. And we want to, we want to actually attract the beneficial bugs. Into well, that sounds like a, a good plan for a visit in about two or three weeks with us. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about that. How's that? Absolutely. Brian, always great to talk to you. Thank you for your information. And we'll talk to you soon about gardening right. here on Everything Happy Gardening. Sun. Happy gardening to you, my friend. <laughs> When we come back, we'll check out who has some great gardening weather this upcoming weekend into early next week and who will be having to keep an eye on Cristobal. That's all coming up on Everything Under the Sun. Make AccuWeather Daily a part of your daily routine. Enable the flash briefing and say, Alexa, what's my flash briefing? To access this content on Google Assistant, all you have to say is, Hey Google, talk to AccuWeather Daily. You'll get the top trending weather story of the day, every day. Welcome back. This is Everything Under the Sun. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. It's been a great show so far. And what we're going to be doing now, I think, at the end of each episode, since we're going to be still releasing these on Friday mornings, our intention is for you to take this with you to the beach, to the mountains, to the lake, to wherever you're heading for the weekend. You can listen, get caught up to date on some of the latest news and information, and then here at the end, we'll do a little bit of a forecast for the weekend and beyond. Lots to talk about in the weather. One of our favorite people to do that with is AccuWeather Senior Meteorologist, Brett Anderson. Brett, first of all, good to talk to you. Uh, let's talk about your background a little bit. You're our Canadian weather expert. How in the heck did you become our Canadian expert here at AccuWeather? What, uh, what kind of got you into weather above the border there? Many years ago, probably about 12 years ago, I think, we were doing blogs, on, uh, writing blogs for AccuWeather.com in the Northeast, the Southeast, probably the West as well. And then uh, I wanted to get involved with that. And uh, we didn't have any blogs for Canada. And I, I was doing some work with Canada. Canada's a big country, not a lot of people compared to the U.S., of course, but we weren't really covering Canada too much. So I asked uh, the executives if I could do a Canada blog, and they said, sure, do a Canada blog. So that's basically how it started with that. So It's like so many things in life and work, you know, you, you say, hey, I want to get involved in something, and you find an opening, an opportunity, and you yeah. do it. Now, you're a New England guy, right? I mean, that's, yeah. uh, talk, talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you, how you got into meteorology in about 45 sure. seconds. <laughs> okay, uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, um, started liking the weather at four years old. I had my own weather station, and probably what really got me into forecasting was listening to Elliot Abrams during the blizzard of 1978. That really got me going. That was the biggest storm of my life. 
And so that would have been on WBZ and WPRO back in the day. PRO, WPRO. Yeah, WPRO with the Salty Brine exactly. and, and Elliot back in the day. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so what we're going to do, uh, Brett, here is uh, take a look at the weekend and a little bit beyond. We are releasing these podcasts on Friday, and I think uh, a lot of people will be taking a listen to this. We've already talked to Dan Kudlowski in this episode in regards to uh, the whole forecast about the, the tropics. But obviously, as we go into this weekend, the sea storm, we're already to the sea storm, Brett, and Cristobal is going to be moving away from the Yucatan and up into the Gulf of Mexico. And we got to keep a big eye on this here as we go through the weekend into early next week. Yeah, we do. Uh, right now, it's uh, kind of not much of a storm right now, kind of meandering over land uh, over Mexico. But we are very confident this is going to start moving northward Friday into Saturday over the warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico, and it should begin to intensify as it moves northward. Key right now is how fast does it move northward, because that will have big impacts on the timing of the heavier rain coming into the Gulf Coast. And where is it going to go exactly? Again, confidence right now looks like uh, somewhere along the Louisiana coast later Sunday, Sunday night, maybe as late as early Monday. But uh, at this point, uh, still the questions are how strong will this get? And how fast will this be moving? We use a little term here, homegrown. And and while this is, a, this is a storm that formed in that area where we're growing them this time of year, it's certainly got uh, untapped water that's uh, extremely warm. We see these kinds of things blow up right at the last minute all the time. They go, we've seen them blow up to a Cat 1, Cat 2 right before they come on shore. So that's a big concern all the way from Houston to the western panhandle of Florida right now. Yeah, they do. Again, the water over the central, south central Gulf of Mexico is warm at the surface and also warm deep down below. So when you have a lot of warm water deep into the very getting down very deep, that's really crucial to the development of a storm. If it's right at the surface, all you need is the storm to stall out and it mixes some of the cooler water up and then you get upwelling and then the result is a weakening storm. But as this moves over the central Gulf, I would expect this to start to steadily intensify sometime during the day on Saturday. So anyone along the Gulf Coast needs to keep an ear and an eye on TackyWeather.com and all our media partners here as we go through the weekend into early next week. Uh, Could be this is one of those things, even if the winds don't ramp up to Cat 1, Cat 2 status, someone is going to get too much rain along the yeah. Gulf Coast. I mean, I think it's just inevitable, 10, 20, maybe even as much as 25 inches in some areas. So that will be the big forecast you're honing in. You know, you talk about things heating up, and one area that's been heating up, uh, it's been pushing that heat up into the northern plains, um, the upper Midwest. We've had some real big pushes of heat. We were just coming through one this past week in parts of the Great Lakes and up into the Northeast. And it looks like that gets pushed up again. Uh, And then a little break for the Great Lakes and parts of the Northeast later Saturday into Sunday carves out a little niceness right there. Uh, But then we have to look at an area of low pressure up in the Maritimes. It could cause some showers on Sunday. So it's uh, going to be a battle zone, warm and cool and dry and warm and hot and humid to the South and West uh, as we go through this weekend. Yeah, and where we find the, again, we're in between the heat and the coolness, we all know what's going to happen. We're going to have thunderstorms, and that's our job trying to figure out where those thunderstorms are going to be. But I'll tell you what, uh, I think parts of the Northeast may be fairly comfortable starting this weekend into at least early part of next week as the heat is going to stay out to the west. But again, as you said, is there going to be a little area of showers coming in from the northeast on that? So that's something we'll have to watch. But right now, I do not see any, any real sustained heat across the northeast. In the meantime, though, 
it is going to be quite humid over the next couple of days. Speaking with uh, Brett Anderson, one of our senior forecasters, he does a lot of work on um, the feature graphics that you see in all our AccuWeather.com stories. That's one of his uh, main jobs during the day. He blogs about Canadian weather. He also blogs about uh, climate change as well and and is one of our people that does a lot of uh, work and research there. Let's talk about a little change in the climate. Uh, We're bringing some coolness and some storminess into the Pacific Northwest with some shower and Uh, chances up there here this weekend. Uh, What's their long-term prognosis as we get into the early next week? It looks uh, pretty cool there over the next several days. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing, uh, again, a fairly significant uh, trough coming in off the Pacific. So that's also going to bring some moisture into the Northwest. So we're going to have opportunities for rainfall in the Northwest. Again, most of the heat, at least uh, through over the next seven days, looks like it's going to be concentrated from the Rockies into the uh, Midwest uh, portions of the plains as well. So as we go through the weekend, you're certainly going to want to keep tuned to AccuWeather.com. The big story early next week as we get into the first few days of uh, the second week of June is going to be what is going on with uh, Cristobal and uh, where it goes and where it takes its rain. It could come all the way up into some part of the, I think, somewhere in the middle plains to the Great Lakes, possibly its center into the Northeast. I mean, there, there's all kinds of possibilities where that center of what's left of the circulation and that could go yeah. next week, right? Yeah, and again, this thing, uh, again, probably not going to have a lot of wind with it, but gonna have a lot of moisture with it and also could uh, present a severe thunderstorm uh, situation across parts of Mississippi Valley up into the Great Lakes again sometime next week. Brett, thanks for your hard work all the time and uh, we look forward to chatting again on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you. And that will wrap it up for this week's edition of Everything Under the Sun. Again, our goal here is to strive to get you the information and the stories you would like to hear. And I'm never afraid to ask for help in that regard. And that help can come from you, our listeners. You can write me directly at dean.devore at AccuWeather.com. That's D-E-A-N dot D-E-V-O-R-E at AccuWeather.com. You can give me ideas or ask questions. We'll get somebody on to answer them or talk about your subject matter. There's so many great things I know people want to talk about, and that'll give me a good gauge of what interests you all the most. I know what interests me the most is getting to know more about the weather and things that I don't know about and getting to know more about the people who make this place so special. AccuWeather.com, our team members are working hard, keeping you up to date on the coronavirus at AccuWeather.com slash coronavirus. All our special hurricane and weather coverage and every day on AccuWeather.com, our website has some of the best information and videos that you'll see about the weather. For our great production team, including executive producers Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore, proud to represent all of the great team members, our hundreds of team members dedicated to keeping you informed and prepared about the weather every day. On behalf of all of us, have a great weekend and beyond, and stay safe and well. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.